Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of The State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is Paul Gillieri. Paul, we're here at the beginning of March. We are approaching a very significant day in your life. Indeed. The first day of my life. That is correct. The year and day of your birth, some... Uh, we'll we'll leave we'll leave the year Ooh, out. <laughs> hey, ho. I know it's kind of. I won't smell the beans. It's a oh, lovely man. number. It's, it is. It's, it's divisible it is. by four. Anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that really narrows it down. <laughs> Thirty-two. Uh, oh God. Today or forty-eight. Today we are going to talk about our favorite slash best B sides and outtakes. But before we get there, there's two bits of business. One, make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to this damn thing. So if it's Apple or Spotify or Google or whatever, please go ahead and subscribe. Leave a comment, rate and review it if you could. That would yeah. be super. And follow us on Leave the us one media. star and then add three or four more to it just for good measure to make sure that you hit that button properly. The first star. If we earned it. If we earn it. Make us work for it. Well, I think that the first star is really for just being a good human being. <laughs> Everyone should get it one star. There, there shouldn't be a zero. And, and star the podcast. other three are because my birthday is divisible by four. So there you let's go. Just, let's just round it out. And, you know, I love it. So before we get there, though, we want to talk about a a lovely segment that we haven't done in a while, and that's a what if. Now, Paul, what is the what if this week? Um, this I thought was interesting. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm going to read Rim and read you something. For some reason, it didn't make it on the album. I was kind of bummed at the time. I really wanted it to be on our first record. But at the time, I was really young and just happy to be around the situation. So I did whatever. Okay. All right. Now, on that. Uh. I was really, really into that song. Stone wrote that song musically. And there was a point during the recording of 10 that Stone was like, eh, I'm over it. And I was like, no, let's work on it. We actually got in a big fight about it in the studio. It didn't end up getting worked on anymore. It got to a point and Stone was over it. I think maybe to some degree, Ed probably wasn't totally happy with where it was. So it never came out. I think mm-hmm. there's great guitar on that song. What if Brother and Yellow Ledbetter actually made it onto 10? How would we remember 10 differently than we do today? Or would we? I don't know. Because both of those songs, well, that's not true. Yellow Ledbetter, I would say, is very commonly associated with that era. Mm -hmm. And so while, you know, while we don't remember it for being on 10, it's so closely connected to 10 that I think in a lot of ways, it's like the kindred 
track basically of the album and um it was it, it I, I don't remember the, the amount of radio play that it got i'd have to look this up uh, it peaked at number 21 yeah peaked at 21 on the billboard mainstream rock tracks chart at the time so it was very much up there as a, a 10 track as it were but uh, what if it actually had been on the album though i mean it's it, it would be so how would how would 10 be remembered how would we remember 10 differently if those two tracks had made it onto the album because i i have a very distinct um version of 10 that i think would exist with those two tracks on it that doesn't fully exist without them okay so one you're teeing or teasing your 10 retracking which we won't do yet that will come eventually but well, I never said that I, if I was given the power to retract 10, that I would necessarily put these two songs on. No, but I'm saying you're teasing what that possibility would be. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. So, and guys, I we will that. do that at some point. Um, 10, 10 doesn't have any fat on the bone, right? It's mm-hmm. all, it's all meat. It's all, it's all good. Uh, every song, in my opinion, is unskippable. If you add Brother in Ledbetter, you're now you're at 13 songs. Mm-hmm. It was just long for an album of its era. Starting to get a little long in the tooth. I think, I think it changes Ledbetter a little bit. And I think it changes brother a little bit. And I think it changes 10 a little bit forward, maybe the worse because brother is a strong song, but it's not as strong enough for that album. Ledbetter is strong enough for the album, but it's so removed musically for me mm-hmm. that it almost doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Okay. So I like that it was that both were left off. So th- these two songs to me have a very anti-patriotic feel to it. Yes. And I, I can't help but wonder if 10 came out, if, if it would have been looked at, as an anti-patriotic album, almost like a, um, a social commentary style of album, not a concept album, but an album that framed the band perhaps as highly critical and anti-patriotic. Because if you look at the music on that album, there's a lot of storytelling that's happening. And I think that the personalization of it really would get lost to some degree. And it we would be, it'd be hard for anybody to remember 10 without that latent anti-patriotic sentiment being associated with it. And I'm not saying that, you know, somebody would say, well, 10's an anti-American album. That, that's not what I mean. I'm saying that it, it looks critically at what was happening at the time with the Gulf War and, you know, what Big Brother was all about to some degree. And so I, uh, I agree with you that I think, you know, the album might actually be better served without those two tracks on it. In addition, I would argue that when I think of these two particular songs, the way that they exist in isolation allows them to breathe without having to suffer under the weight and context of an album like 10. For example, a track like Brother, I think it would be um, a song that people grew to hate, believe it or Hmm. not. It, it, it's an infectious riff. I love that song so much. When it, like Jeff, I was like, "What the? Hell? Why was this not on the album, man?" It's like this. This song crushes. But 
I can easily see how that song would have been just played to death and it would be looked at as this almost like um, power chordy, just, you know, cliche, just 90s derivative sounding song, even though it, it was very much a part of that process in time. And so I, I think that because it was kind of left off and it's an outtake, we can we can come back to that with kind of a nostalgia that would be absent otherwise. Whereas with a song like Ledbetter, I think it would have been overkill, overplayed. Not that it wasn't to a certain degree, but there was something about the organic discovery of that song through the process of, of hearing it live and then it just becoming something that grew into its own entity that would have been lost if it was, say, you know, track number nine or, or something like that, you know, nestled between Garden and and, uh, and Deep. You know what I mean? I don't know where you'd put it, but I, I just feel like it would lose some of the mystique that made Yellow Leadbetter so interesting. And, and so for those reasons, I feel like both songs actually are freed to really become their own individual expressions. And we can listen to them independent of 10, at the same time, within the context of what 10 ultimately meant to us when we reflect back on that era. And I think indirectly that affords both tracks a gravity that they probably would not have otherwise. You bring up an interesting point in that both songs. So what if, here's another what if within the what if, what if Brother was actually a B-side off of let's say it was a b-side to even floor or something like that hmm. like Lebetter was to i think jeremy jeremy right, right? yeah I think it was so it's not like Lebetter wasn't out there in an official capacity if you go went out there and bought the single to jeremy you had the song right it's not like you found it it was there it existed for you to find right um so in a, in a way it had its moment in time, but be, like you said, because people got it to radio organically, it kind of bypassed all that scrutiny because people decided that it was okay to feel that way. And it wasn't some like the, the anti-war part of it wasn't um, holding it back in any way. Right. It, it could transcend that. Right. We didn't, mm-hmm. most of us didn't really know about brother until Oh nine. I mean, it was, it was out there and you had to kind of find it. But it wasn't released in any official capacity until 09 and the 10 Redux. And I think it would have been felt differently if it was an actual B-side in 92. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think it I think it'd be remembered actually better. Really? It, yes. I, I think I think if it came out then, the people who liked the stuff on 10 would like that song. But because it's removed from the album, it doesn't it doesn't um sully 10 in any way that you are no, talking about because it's own, it's its own thing. Right. In the same way right. that love better is, but it would have had this, this nostalgia to it over time of playing it, you know, every five years or something like that, as opposed to being dropped out of thin air in 09. Like, Oh yeah, we had this song 17 years ago, or 27 years ago, whatever it is, 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and here it is. And you're like, Oh shit, that's, that's pretty cool. And we didn't well, at the time, you know, it's 09. So we're in the middle of two, three wars or however many it is. So uh, we're a lot more um, accepting of an anti-war song and a big brother yeah. in that because we're post-Patriot Act and all that stuff. 
but I think but, it still would have worked on its own as a B side at the time. It, it, I don't disagree. I, I think it, yeah, I, I think it would have, and I think it would have been hugely popular given it clearly sounds. But that's for the like nerds like us and, that they go yeah. and get this, get those singles and listen to the B sides. If you're, you know, Joe Bro who goes to the shows, that, that's a lot of Dr. Seussing right there. They go to the <laughs> shows still, you know, and really want to hear the ten versus stuff, and and you know, you come in your, in your, you know puffed out chest and you're drinking your, your Bud Lights, whatever. I'm really generalizing a lot of people right now, <laughs> but like if you were the bro back in the day, that was all about the aggression on 10 and you weren't necessarily anti-war. Yeah. That could have turned you off, but you probably wouldn't have found that B said anyways. And, well, and on top maybe of that, you would have, I mean, these are the, you know, how many people liked even flow and never actually understood what the song was truly about. And the same know? thing with <laughs> Ledbetter. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, there are no official lyrics for it because he's babbling half the time. We've we've cobbled together that it's an anti-war song about you know right. passing somebody who you know. So I think it would have done okay. I think it would have stood and and probably had some of that yellow Ledbetter kind of juju and got oh, for sure it would bit. have. Yeah, it, you know? it really is a product of its time. I don't think it would have aged as well mm. as as. Yellow Ledbetter has. The music is definitely more rooted in that, in that time, whereas Ledbetter is just like Hendrix on steroids. Exactly. There's yeah. a timelessness to it. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, imagine if you were in L.A. on Thursday, February 7th, 1991, and you heard that song, Brother, live, and you're thinking, what is that? You know, that yeah. is awesome. And you never heard it again. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't on the album. It wasn't a B-side. You probably spent decades telling people about that song. You and remember, no one believed you. And no one believed you. Exactly. You know, I mean, how Which is doubly is annoying too. If you're, if you're going to some, some of these 92 shows where they're dropping, well, I just use the word dropping leash, you know, leash comes yeah. out of nowhere. Some of these versus songs are being played months before. And then Vitalogy songs are being played like a year before Vitalogy comes yeah. out. And you're like, oh, it must be some song from the next album. And then that next album comes in the song isn't there oh it would have killed me <laughs> i mean if i like, i literally would have been it called it, i think i would have been on a crusade to find this song <laughs> oh my lord i can only imagine if you were out there and you actually saw brother performed in in the very early days which i think it's I, just it, a couple of times right times. yeah exactly i'm gonna quickly go to our friends over at livefootsteps.org yeah and i know find february 7 91 was the first time here in la uh, and it's a really brutal, like, audience recording. I mean, I'm grateful that it exists, obviously, but it's not like there's a soundboard. Oh, just the one out. time, dude. It was just the one time. February 7th, here at the Florentine was... Gardens. I actually have that wow. show, but yeah, you're right. It, it is garbage quality. And then it wasn't played again until 09 when the 10 Redux That's came out. nuts. Nuts. And played... So it really was a unicorn. If you were at that show and loved that song... <laughs> By the way, Florentine Gardens, is, I think it's on Sunset Boulevard here. It's like some tiny little, it still exists. The building still exists. I don't know that it's called that anymore, but you can drive by it here if, you, if you're in LA. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I, I think, I think brothers obviously remember differently. If it, if it came out as a proper B side at the time, but both being on 10 would have made 10 a little odd. Yeah. I think I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But I mean, you know, there's, there are tons of songs that we could sit and have conversations about. What if those had been oh, yeah. included on the album, but there was something about those two tracks that stood out to me for two reasons. One, the, um, the parallels in terms of their themes, but it was the reactions of band members 
mm. to those songs not being included and, and how it, it actually caused some degree of tension that I thought was, was really interesting because those, those songs very easily could have ended up. It sounds like, you know, had there been more lobbying and more aggression and, and more pushback, perhaps that would have happened. I don't know. And, or it may have led to a, an irreconcilable rift. Who knows? So it's, it's a really fascinating kind of uh, rabbit hole to go down. And then, you know what? We, we could be completely overthinking and it could just be that, you know, for brother, at least uh, I'm sorry for Leather at least I, I may have read something to this effect that well, it was Mike that, that they had, they had enough songs at, at that tempo or that, that kind of candor. So it was like, it didn't make sense to, to fatten the album up to have one more of these kinds of songs in the same way that they left alone off verses. It's like, we already had enough mint tempo songs. We don't need another one of these kind of thing. So I don't know. Maybe we'll have to get, you know, Mike or Stone or Jeff on here one day and just ask him what's going on. <laughs> Easy as that, right? Yeah, exactly. Just, okay. you know, let me pull out my Motorola Flip. And, mm. uh, get a razor, a Helio. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we've we've really tapped into the the meat and potatoes of this episode, and that is songs that are not on albums. And what are our favorite ones? So a couple of ground rules. You're not going to hear the songs Breath or State of Love and Trust on this because they are technically on a soundtrack. Nor and, will you hear uh, Hard to Imagine for the same reason. Yeah. And probably not going to hear very, very obscure outtakes that are like, you know, half boiled. Uh, the, the cold confession, the, 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 the avocado. Uh, yeah. We're thinking like yeah. basically like actual B-side songs and then yeah. Lost Dogs and something that got a proper release. Either yeah, yeah. on Lost and, Dogs or, you know, an actual box, B-side of a single, right? Box set, something that box actually sets, came right. out, right? In some capacity. So without further ado, um, I think what we should do is we should just go down our five through two and then spout a couple of uh, uh, mentions or maybe at the end, a couple of honorable mentions at the end. And uh, just let's just go down. So how about we start with you, Paul, with our, our favorite, our five favorite, five best, whatever you want to say, uh, B-sides and outtakes. Where do you start? So I'm going to start with five. I'm going to go other side. Ooh. Yeah, you know, um, that that particular track, I thought, was, there's a haunting nature to it. It's a Jeff song, and it's it's got a really beautiful, um, just, how do I phrase this? You're going to have to re-edit this for me. But So I think what really works well in that song is the beautiful spirit spiritual longing for someone who, who's no longer with you mm. uh, when i say spiritual i don't mean religious there, there's something about that the, the connection that feels tangible still and musically speaking the canvas on which the song exists there there's a, a an interesting ethereal nature to it embedded within the chord progressions you really feel um Kind of like in that bizarre place in between the other side if you will i know as corny as it sounds but it doesn't sound like a lot of the types of music you'd hear pearl jam make and, and i really feel like there was something that jeff was expressing and the way it came together musically truly fit the subject of the song in ways that 
you know, a lot of Pearl Jam's music, you, you, you listen to the music and if you heard the music without the lyrics and then you, you heard the lyrics without the music and you couple them together, there's sometimes there's an irony to it, you know what I mean? There's a juxtaposition that works beautifully on tracks like that. But this is a song where there's, it, it's more of a marriage of theme and lyrical content and music and the composition comes together in such a way that I feel it, it really, it, it just creates kind of like a, um, a, a prayer. It really sounds like a prayer in a lot of ways. And there, there's a, a quietness to it, but at the same time, there's kind of a, a lulling spiritual acceptance to it. And so, but the acceptance is, it's, it's rooted in that loss, you know? And so there's a bittersweetness to it. I, I just think it's, it's a very underrated track. And, uh, and I have to tip my hat to, to Jeff and the band. And I think actually Riot Act would be a far better album with it on it, to be honest with you. I'm, to this day, I'm surprised that it didn't it didn't make it on there. I think we've already done a uh, Riot Act um, retracking, but you make a good point there. Uh, that song, to me, feels like it could be sung by the subject in Sad. Because sad is a third-person song. Mm-hmm. He's sad. He this. Well, maybe the he is the guy singing other side. You know, and he's talking to the one who's gone the other way. It it kind of feels like those two songs are sitting in the same story, just yeah. from different um, perspectives. It's a lovely song. I mean, it, it's not one of the songs that I jump to to listen to, but when it comes on, I don't skip it because there's a quality to it. That, especially if I'm in the mood for something a little bit more. Um, tranquil or serene maybe is the right mm-hmm. word um, it does do a job so I think it's a lovely pick at five my number five and I think this is going to prove how strong my five are if I can toot my own horn is sad hmm. the opening riff oh it's lovely one of my oh, favorites man. one of my favorite riffs uh, it's such a funky opening beat too for Matt uh it's very light on the hi-hat and it kind of makes you unsure where the ones and twos are. And mm-hmm. only when you get to the chorus, do you get like a proper, you know, backbeat that you would get from a rock song. I love the dichotomy of that. And the bridge has always been a favorite Pearl Jam moment for me. D, 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 C, A, C, A, C. It's just, <laughs> it's so good. And it's just so simple. You know, they just, fit right with the drums and the lyrics it's such a welcome change of pace from the rest of the song and it leads perfectly into that mini solo section that mike has and the whole song just builds really well and while it's three and a half minutes it feels shorter yeah you know lyrically it's another song about a man losing the love of his life as we talked about just now with other side as i mentioned as well but this time she's gone not of her own accord it seems like it's something um, where she's died tragically, you know? Yeah. Which makes, you know, this thing seem really, really sad. And the subject simply cannot get over this. And, and although some might find the title and the refrain um, simple, or maybe too on the nose, it, it really is just sad. So why not? I like it, man. What do you got at four? Uh, four for me is sad. <laughs> but there for a go. different reason. To me... Oh. This song is Pearl Jam's last kiss. Oh, it's always felt like the the, the same. Like there was a certain um, haunting pop song 
element to Last Kiss when it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm talking, I'm not talking about Pearl Jam's version. I mean, the, you know, there was a certain embracing of the macabre. I mean, it, it was the, a really dark song, and I get a lot of that with Sad, but there's the, the, the echo, the reverb. It's just it, there really is like a, you're just in this 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 chamber of sadness and it sounds that way too yeah. you know and, and the recording i thought was fantastic i mean it's you know we talk a lot about what chad blake did on binaural and, and the way that you record a song and so the composition you know we talked about this with brandon you just get enveloped within it that i get a similar feeling with the recording of sad there's just a certain um kind of like a like a cocoon that that the song somehow manages to wrap you in and so it's just Pearl Jam's Last Kiss. I mean, if, if Pearl Jam were to do their own version of Last Kiss, this to me is what it would always sound like. And, and t- the reason that it by far is one of my favorite B-sides is it's arguably the only outtake or B-side from any album they've ever done where it's my favorite song from the recording session. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I, I can't, there's, I, I love Binaural, you know, it's not my favorite album, but it, I've gro- it's grown on me more and more, but this particular track i'll never understand why it was left off and i think it's the strongest song from that those sessions and so it's like wow why it's oh, the hot takes no but you're right and, and we both agreed and had it in our yeah. in our retracking of binaural um go back and listen to that but uh yeah very very strong song number four for me in keeping with the happy times we're talking about is footsteps nice such an awesome guitar tone. Oh, it is. That that wooden rustic sounding acoustic mm-hmm. guitar. Really cool main <laughs> riff as well. You know, you immediately feel like you're in the prison cell, uh, especially when the harmonica comes in. Yeah. You know, with the Lost Dogs edition, you know, as opposed to the original. It, but I, I like the edition of the harmonica. I might be in the minority here, but I like the harmonica. And before you even get to the lyrics, the scene is just perfectly set within one guitar riff and a harmonica. You can see the empty prison hallway, the sun peeking through the bars from the lone window in the cell. Yet right at the outset, the subject has conceded everything, everything. They're honest about what's happened and they want you to know you're the reason. And there is no mistaking that. Listen to these lines here. Don't even think about reaching me. I won't be home. Don't even think about stopping by. Don't think of me at all. Yeah. The middle part of the song, uh, the second pre-chorus and the chorus are just so eerie. And the lyrics really paint a picture. Footsteps in the hall, pictures on my chest. You know, when you when we talk about the Mama Sun trilogy, mm-hmm. this is such a sad ending to a story. And looking back at Alive and Once, it, it all makes sense. Yeah. And you almost feel bad. <laughs> you almost feel for the subject despite them being a murderer um so how's that for your conscience but like i just find that incredible that they can pull that um what's the word i'm looking for you you feel you feel for they have that empathy for a murderer through the song it's just it's very strange but it's such a well done song i know it came out of the ashes of of um times of trouble but uh, it's just a lovely song, and I, and I always enjoy hearing it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> interestingly enough, Footsteps is, is right up there for me as well. Um, is it your third? It is. <laughs> but but 
it's funny you talk about guilty conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, before Trump left office, he uh, he kind of expedited a series of, of basically you know sentences for inmates that were yeah. on death row. Yeah. And I don't know why, but whenever somebody finds him or herself on death row, and I get like you know. I'm scrolling through a timeline or whatnot, and it shows up in, in, in the news. I always think to myself, wow, here was a state-sanctioned murder. Who was this person? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what? first of all, what was the crime that was so heinous that we can justify killing another human being over? And also, what happened in that person's life to produce that? Now, sometimes it is, you talk about eerie. I mean, you you, you do the research, and you find out, did this person have a soul? Like, what, what could have possibly happened in an individual's life that, that could produce that? But you, you mentioned, you know, the struggle of conscience where how could you have sympathy for somebody, you know, that did something so terrible to find him or herself on, on death row? And I was struck by the story of Lisa Montgomery, who was the only woman on federal row at the time last year. And she was found guilty of a very heinous crime. I'm not going to go into detail obviously uh, right now, but uh, I looked into this woman's life and it was agonizingly heartbreaking to the point where I don't know how a human being could withstand what Lisa Montgomery endured in her life and, and, and not have this. Most people would have succumbed to the types of, of suicidal thoughts that become actualized you know <laughs> mm. and here this woman somehow managed to, to, to persevere but it created these triggers that ultimately you know she could not govern and now, mind you I'm not sitting here making excuses or, or anything like that but at the same time the more I learned of her the more it was impossible for me to not just look at that entire situation and just feel nothing but sadness you know what I mean and I think that when I listen to a song like uh, like Footsteps, and to your point, you, you factor in the context of Once and of, of Alive, you really can't walk away without just feeling an, an element of sadness. And, and I think that that story, the Lisa Montgomery story, it really encapsulates that for me because it's just, I looked at that and I mean, as, as a father of a daughter, I just thought it, it, it's just utterly agonizingly terrible to envision and imagine a girl growing up and experiencing what this woman did and again not excusing her choices but at the same time to feel anything but just as like humanity failed this person yeah (laughs) that that's just where it leads me so things aren't binary no they're really not man it's not black and white there's there's way too much gray that people ignore or or either don't want to um, understand, don't yeah. have the ability to understand, are taught and, to and everybody to loses it. in cases like that. You know, like the, the, this woman who was put to death, lost, but the terrible thing that she did only created more pain that reverberates. Yeah, you know, for, I mean that, so that, that she she has a family too who mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure does not condone what she did, but at the same time you're you're. You're hurting that family for something they didn't do. They may, I'm sure they still have love for their daughter, even though she's, you know, a bad person or has done a bad thing. 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're walking down a, down a, a prison conversation that we could go on forever, um, and we don't really have the time to do that. But your point is incredibly well made, and a song like Footsteps in the context of Alive and Once is a story that probably happens far more than we are aware of in this country, and that is simply, as our number four song um, said, is sad. So let's be happy. Let's get a little positive here. My number three is down. So the song, nice. the song is down, but the the, the feeling is up. And yeah. I needed a positive song on this list. Even just the main chord progression is uplifting to me. That you know that it starts with the A minor, strumming like like a pre riff to the GCBG thing. And it's just it's so simple, but it's really effective. And I say effective in an emotional kind of way. You know, it really changes the mood that chord progression. And I think you know negative or sad sounding chords like A minor before it really sets it up for success. Yeah. Now, not to mention the little hammer on pull off thing is a brilliant yet simple hook. So that's that's cool by itself on a musical level. But lyrically, this is a tale that I bet many have felt over the years, maybe more so as COVID has lingered on and on and on. And as we start to see the light at the end of the tunnel here, as you know, we have a third vaccine uh, just approved a couple of days ago. Thank Lord we can have some more out there. But obviously, having been written 20 years ago, about over 20 years ago, it has no pandemic in mind. But I bet millennials and Gen Y people understand the idea of feeling numb, feeling down, feeling sort of lifeless. You know, maybe there's maybe being loaded with medication to even out their mood rightly or wrongly. I mean, you and I grew up in a pill generation. If a kid was a little nutty, it was given a label like ADHD and given Ritalin. And that shit would basically squash their personality. Uh, I'm not saying that everyone who was prescribed this didn't require it. I'm sure many did. But there was a lot of over-medication, in my opinion, when we were growing up. And, and it's maybe inadvertently a story about how we've been over-medicated, but probably more story about dependence on any drug, really. Pills or booze right. or otherwise. And finally realizing you've got to live. You've got to face reality. That, that life is better than the muck you've kept yourself in. And the, the inference is that something bad put the subject in a place to depend on drugs of some type but just as the song says one day the symptoms fade and you realize you don't need that crush to feel alive you know that realization alone makes you feel up not down yeah. so so long darkness you've not been a friend and, and then you've got the most positive uplifting solo mike has ever done in my opinion and it's just lovely and it really puts a lovely coda to a very short song but it, it does a whole lot in its three minutes, I think. I, I like the Simon and Garfunkel reference you threw in there, too. You're welcome. Yeah, that's well said. So for me, it, I, I already talked about Brother. Um, I guess if I talked Brother here, I'd probably push uh, other side to like an honorable mention. Uh, but it just, it's really hard. I heard it and it, it again, it was one of those songs I was I just kind of put my hand to my head and I said, how did this not make it on the and, and you know what? Then when I learned about the song and Jeff almost quit the band, I know because yeah. I mean, that it, which in hindsight, I'm sure Jeff would say this is ridiculous. I would imagine, but maybe not. Maybe he looks back and he's like, man, you know, I, I still believe that song deserved and should have been on, on the record. It wasn't his composition though. 
and it was a stone song. And so that's what I love is that you, you can, you can so passionately love what your bandmate created that you're willing to walk away from what you guys have. Fighting harder for the song than the writer did. (laughs) Yeah. That's and and like, he literally was just out like dunking basketballs because he was so livid over the fact that stone just didn't want to do it anymore. And, And I think that when you're recording your first record, there's just like this heightened, you know, uh, euphoria over the process, but also it's like, man, the gravity of it and and the pressure. It's like we you know, we got to hit a home run, right? We're we're recording our first album, and so if you, if you think that there's an album that's going to be a home run on your album, I'm sorry, a song that's going to be home run on your album, and your bandmate suddenly looks at you and says, "Ah, I don't feel like doing this one anymore," <laughs> you're thinking, "Dude, this is like career suicide. What are you doing?" <laughs> so, I uh, I can understand that sentiment to a degree. And uh, it's just a killer rock song, man. I mean, mid-tempo or not, it crushes. So I, I, I definitely feel that it's a song that stands on its own. And we've already exhausted a conversation. On so it. Brothers so Number Three for you? Probably, yeah. Or uh, two. I don't know where I'm at here. Probably that's yeah, it's three, I suppose. We'll push other side to a to an honorable mention. Okay. So no, I think that was two for you. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, it I'm, was. I'm at two now. You're at two, but I'm gonna make. Other side, an honorable mention to squeeze that one in. So we're gonna get a second song from you. Yeah. So my second song here would be would be Yellow Lead Better. All right. And so uh, Yellow Lead Better, you know, Ed talked about uh, this guy that he knew in Chicago and how, you know, or Seattle, pardon me, and this guy's brother served in the first Gulf War, and this guy receives a yellow letter in the mail informing him that his brother had passed away, died in the war, and. Ed and this guy take a walk, and on the walk, this friend of his, I guess he, he Ed said he looked alternative looking, which, you know, whatever that means. But uh, I guess they go by this house, and there's this American flag flying, and there's people standing and hanging out on the porch, and, and he kind of gestures, his buddy gestures to the flag, almost to salute it in memoriam for his fallen brother. But the people on the porch just glare at him disapprovingly based on the guy's appearance and so it's just this captured moment in time that ed just riffed on you know what i mean it it very is the equivalent of a vocalist's solo in the way that mike will take you know black live and just riff on that and it's a new solo seemingly every time you hear it and so this this is a great example of what eddie could do when he riffs basically as a lyricist and it's just a, a really deep and poignant moment and I think that it stayed with him and and when we listen to it we just kind of see this it's so complicated man there's so many layers and there's a lot of nuance to the song it gets mocked for Eddie's delivery as like he's mumbling and it's indecipherable and the song means nothing when in reality I mean there's a real struggle happening there and if if you just look at all the vantage points that are present within the, the greater construct and story the narrative itself I mean, it 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 kind of is its own little film in a lot of ways, and so I, I think the song, as popular as it is, is actually underappreciated because not enough attention gets spent to the the roots from which it was born. Yeah, it's definitely focused on because of the melody from, from mm-hmm. Mike. I think, um, and, and the chorus is very soaring, even if people only really understand like one line of it. Box of the bag, you know. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of forgot about this song 
doing that, doing this list. That's okay. Uh, that that's that speaks volumes that you did though. I literally it was one of the first and that I, popped into my head. I didn't even I, I you know what it is? It's just such a staple that it doesn't yeah. even feel to our point of the what if earlier. Yeah. It yeah, doesn't feel like a B side. It right. just so it's so ever present. Uh and um now where would I put it if I if I had to do this list again? Probably around here. Right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna like do a two B and, and do a lot better. The two that I wrote down is wash. Yeah, I, I figured you were going there. That's a I good love one. this song. Love this song. Um, I mean, it, it's it's it doesn't even change like the bass chord from from verse to chorus. It just mm-hmm. goes from minor to major, which is oh, it's just an interesting thing. It, it, it absolutely feels like a rainy night, and in it erupts at the end in the seedy part of, of the city. It's brooding. It's so brooding. The way Dave's ride cymbal kind of flirts with Jeff's bass line and kind of Mike dances around Ed's vocals, a little bluesy feels like he does in, in a number of songs, like better in black. And it, it, it feels sexual in a way, which is exactly what this song is about. Yeah, in, infidelity, it looks like. Or I thought it was more of like a, a prostitute thing. I, yeah, I, I could be I, wrong. I kind of got that vibe too, but I, I could I could hear an argument made that it's about drug use or sure, maybe. Uh, infidelity. I mean, anything along those lines. Either way, it's about demons on the inside that you're trying to keep in. <laughs> Not getting it at all. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, when I've read it and I tr- I've tried to kind of find my way into the song, to me, it came off as a, as a young prostitute, uh, maybe realizing she's in over her head. And that she doesn't want to participate in this dirty love anymore. Wash it away, you know? So the first verse suggests her curiosity and content um, with her lifestyle. And the second verse is her justifying her work to herself. Sin to sell, buying just a need. Society scoffs at what I do, yet the men who I sleep with don't face the same stigma. And what about when I go home to my boyfriend? What about that truth? And the truth that lies at home, you know, he'll never know the real me who works at night. I can't let him know, but I want to rid myself of this secret. Mm-hmm. So with lines like I'm white on the outside, though I stray, it's just another way of saying that while she appears put together, she's very much risking her safety all the time. And the following line, what she don't know today might kill us both tomorrow, seems to suggest the subject is having a schizophrenic type moment. Playing too fast and loose, maybe being a little naive and who she trusts can get them both killed. Um, and maybe mm. just figuratively, well, and literally, you know, the night version versus the day version of her. And obviously, as you mentioned, the crescendo of this song at the end that, that it builds to, and lyrically, and how Ed sings the, the final five Wash My Love lines is immensely beautiful and powerful. And like I said, coming from a, from a simple G minor to a G major in the chorus and it's just like kind of lurches along I've always really loved this song I I want to say I've heard it just a couple of times live but god damn it they should play it more yeah I'm with you man it is a great track it almost made my top five um it I think really, when you get into like the like the top six, seven, eight, nine, yeah, that like they're all you, just you could kind of just drop in any of them you yeah. really could I mean so what do you got one for me technically it, Right, exactly. I mean, I, I'm just calling it a one, but really any of the songs we, we've talked about could, could easily fall in there. Alone for me, just currently, it, it, it sits at the top. 
I've always felt this song was like a reimagining of Black just in the third person. Mm. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, both tracks are about coping with heartbreak, searching for a distraction, you know, being lost and disconnected from everything. There's even the line about, you know, not really seeing the joy of children at play. Uh, the, the word seer shows up in both songs. <laughs> um, and then, you know, one of my favorite songs off Binaural, Of the Girl, seems to be the same speaker just decades later, still pining mm. for the same woman from his past, you know? And so there's something about this through line here that uh, it just seems to be the band's bread and butter for me in a lot of ways. Um, but when I hear it alone musically, it, there's a certain... I don't want to call it like a funkiness, but there's there's a, a levity to the delivery of it, and it, it's a it's a really infectious groove on the guitar, and it just plays well. And it was it was one of those songs where I heard it, and I just love that we had it. I appreciated it. I didn't need it to be on an album. I didn't look at it and say, God, why wasn't this on the album? As much as it was, man, th- what a cool song. You know what I mean? It was almost like a cherry on top that that we found or, or was unearthed that we didn't know was there and we're just happy to have it for me. And so I just, it was one of my favorite songs from that era at that time. And uh, I just loved it being that cool B-side that you could play for somebody, you know? And, and to me, that's the mark of a great B-side. It's like, oh, you like Pearl Jam? Yeah, I like Pearl Jam. Hey, have you ever heard Alone? No, what album's that on? Oh, come here, man. Check this out. <laughs> right? <laughs> anyway. Paul, we've done it again. Alone, number one for me. Nice. Third time on this list, we have the same song at the same number. Can you imagine that? Uh, it, it hits you in the face right out of the gate, huh? The silence full band stop thing at the end of the of the bar there is it's unusual to have you know a false stop in the middle of the intro. It's very strange, but I love it, and I love how the drums and the bass kind of dance around the guitars. It has this really unique swing through the yin and yang of the guitars. Yeah. Because Mike and Son are playing completely different things, but they- And they the lyrics play off that so beautifully. It's lovely. And I think I think Dave Abrazius really shines on this track. I think he's great. I've derided uh, Seven O'Clock before for Word Salad. And this is really close to being Word Salad, but it's not because Ed still finds a way to jam all these words into the bar in a rhythmic way. Right. I don't think he does that in seven o'clock. He just kind of just gets every word out. This has still has a flow to it. And speaking lyrically, this is a story, like you said, that isn't often told. I guess maybe outside of country music, a woman cheating on a man. He's so hurt that he has to, you know, forge on alone. And that's that's the thing. Like, if you're the type of person that needs to internalize and get through it alone, you don't want any help from anybody. You know, help feels like a crutch, or maybe you're just like so hurt that any attempt at help feels like you failed. And like, you know, I shouldn't have to rely on anyone. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's a machismo to that that I think a lot of us have to kind of get over. But I can I can understand where that comes from. And we don't necessarily think logically when we're hurt like that, anyways. So. You know, the, the, the line, I can help myself, don't talk to me, repeated over and over and over in the song, more towards the end. Breakups are hard, but however, you need to get through it. Just get through it. So however you can do it, get through it. And the music just really kind of propels that that thing, that, that, that concept through in a really cool way. 
and in some way, I think the song actually benefits, like you said, from not being on an album. It, it's allowed to stand on its own, even though it's it's on the Go single. It 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 lives on its own in my in my view, and I and I think you know people who necessarily didn't know the song until Lost Dogs go back and try and find the version from Go because it's different. Some of the lyrics are actually different because he re-records it in a different way. Right. But it's it's my favorite. I'm with you, man. Cool. We did it. We did it. I always find it fun and funny when we come to very similar conclusions independently. Yeah. It uh it just can't, well, it honestly it's a testament to the the power of these tracks. You know? Yeah. And and I mean the song like alone, like you said, it just it was really cool when it came out and it wasn't this feeling of frustration that it wasn't on the album because versus was already so great. And then you hear this. And what's, what's interesting is I believe it was actually a 10 outtake. Yeah. That just that, that, found its way onto, exactly. you know what I mean? And so yeah, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a great track. It's, it's one of their finest. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to our lyric of the week. Paul lyric of the week. Of course, it's a B side. It comes from the binaural sessions, and that is in the moonlight. All right, Paul, in the moonlight, here we go. What do you got for me? You know, man, um, this song's always been evasive for me. You, you listen to these lyrics, in the moonlight, getting why I ought to get back. It's that hesitation and then, you know, coming to these conclusions on the fly. It, lyrically, it's very much in, in Matt's wheelhouse, but it's uh, this day is sure to relapse. It's getting closer to upends. Uh, in the moonlight, given two lost wings, a beautiful star, I see a wonderful sense of feeling. And um, I think you mentioned Ed at one point said something about uh, this is what it's like to, to surf in the middle of the night or something like that. Um, I just get a sense from this track that there's there's a certain kind of like desire to turn off for just a minute and just fly away from whatever it is you're dealing with and and just be underneath that luminous light from the moon and allow that moment of peace to breathe knowing that there is sure to be a relapse you know what i mean and that you are getting closer to being upended but at the same time, it's just, it's that perfect swell. You know what I mean? It's that, it's that right in the heart of the wave swell where everything is just calm and peaceful within the eye of the storm. And uh, I think that the, 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 there's a crunch to the guitar and you just feel the weight of that crunch and you know, you're going to get crushed under it. But at the same time, I mean, there's, there's a certain bliss that's found underneath before the hammer comes down. 
And, and sometimes I think you just, you have to put yourself in that place and hold on to what's most important and, and don't lose sight of that before it comes crashing down, because ultimately that's what you're going to need to help pick you back up again after the fact. Absolutely. I mean, this has been a theme of uh, a lot of these B-sides being alone. Yeah. It's another ex- excellent example of that. And <laughs> maybe that's why these songs work so well alone. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. I mean, no, no pun intended. But... That, that's, that's actually a really good point. The, the subjects finds tranquility and calm being alone, being amongst nature. Presum- you know, we, you mentioned the surfing thing uh, at night where everything is quiet and serene and, he or she can kind of just be one with the waves and the world. And there's something to be really said for that. And they understand there's a world they will eventually have to get back to, you know, there are responsibilities after all, but for now, now is all about the moment about, you know, recentering oneself. I think guided by nothing but the stars and the moon and the subject's desire simply to be, you know, think about the line from release. I'll ride the wave where it takes me. It seems to fit here too. And that line given two lost wings, the subject feels like they are free as birds are in this moment. What a wonderfully positive and comfortable feeling to be living in. And with any luck, this day will surely relapse. Uh, hell, we, we all need more of these kinds of days to repeat. Living and feeling alive are too commonly rare. We've got to try and sort through the, the, the daily rat race and, and responsibilities. And we got to find a little moments of Zen. And obviously, as we know, Ed's is surfing. And so I can totally see him thinking of this uh, song, these lyrics from surfing at night and just being one with the ocean and calm and just being in your happy place to quote mm. happy Gilmore, you know? It's a lovely ditty. And you know what? It's great music too. Thanks, Matt. Let's do the uh, the best live version of this. Ready to stand up! Okay, Paul. It's been played four times. So yeah, got four so. chances here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, I, I like uh, the Alpine version a lot. Um, you know, we, we talked about this leading up to the show and uh, the, the, the 2016 cut from Tampa in, uh, in April is a great version. I think it's April 11th. Um, I think it was the first time they had played it since 2010 or 2011. Um, 2011, yeah. 2011, yeah. And, you know, you look at that, that set list and just some great tracks on there, man. You got... Uh, low light hard to imagine um they played my father's son and then daughter back to back which <laughs> i thought was interesting and you got in the moonlight in the moonlight pardon me sandwich between getaway and jeremy which i thought was interesting too and a lot of people really didn't know what to make of that particular track at the time um obviously this is post lost dogs so i mean it's not like people didn't have a clue what it was if you were a passionate Pearl Jam fan, but there were probably a lot of people in the audience that didn't know what it was, um, but thought it was pretty cool. At least from what I've read on the, the community pages for discussion on Pearl Jam's website. And I'm, I'm not a big time signature guy, but I mean, I've read that the main riff is in 11 eighths or 11, eight, probably mm-hmm. not even saying that right, but uh, it's just, 
a really fascinating and interesting song because of the time signature. It just plays differently. And when you hear it live, it's so in sync somehow. You know what I mean? It's, it's almost like they were born to play these offbeat type songs and they probably get a lot of joy in playing them. And this particular version, Ed's, Ed vocally is very, um, there, there's a, a continuity to his voice, especially at the beginning of the track. There's no weird hiccups, as it, if you will. You know, that sometimes his voice kind of cracks a little bit or, or he can't sustain a note. So he'll go like, in the moonlight. You know, he'll do these <laughs> things where he, uh, which look, I, mean, I don't know how many, he's half a bottle of wine in maybe by the time the song comes up in the set list or, or maybe, you know, God, how many times does the guy sing a song in the span of three months on tour? So this particular one, he just felt fresh, you know what I mean? And, uh, and it comes out fresh. And so I think that that's, it's a fitting live cut and of the four that we have, it's the one that probably sounds the crispest crispest. Okay. Crispest. Let's go listen to the crispest. <laughs> April 11th. 2016 in Tampa. The most crisp Florida.
Okay, there it is. And by the way, uh, if you are interested in this show at large, the aforementioned uh, comment about surfing at night is actually at the very front of this song. You didn't hear it here, but at the very end of what was the song before? It getaway. Is that the, fr- the song? Uh, yeah. Right. It's Am I wrong? In getaway. getaway. So at the very end of getaway, if you have the MP3, you'll hear about a two-minute story about about this and about well, actually about uh, Eddie parking cars, I guess, with one of his jobs and somehow that dovetailed into, into surfing at night. And that's how the song came about. So I love a little story there. If you have the full bootleg, there is a video on YouTube available of this song, including that story. So go check that out if you'd like, but it's a really cool song. I've always really liked it. I think we may have included it in our binaural retracking. I don't remember to be honest with you, but man, Matt brings the goods and busting out an 11, eight time signature is really, you know, throwing a little splash of Soundgarden there in the yellow <laughs> Pearl Jam catalog. A good one to be sure. And, uh, well, this has been the episode, guys. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll have some new stuff for you next week. Don't know what it is yet. Could be anything. Could be anything. You know what? Maybe you should suggest something. What would you Me? like to hear? Not you, no. like the people out there. Oh, yeah. Well, their, their voice is a heck of a lot more important than mine anyway. So I'd love to hear what those folks would like us to talk about. Otherwise, we, we, we've got a nice little list to pull from. we got plenty to pull from, but, you know, it, yeah. it's, uh, maybe it's like a reader's choice or listener's choice. I'm down for that. Okay. All right. Well, until next week when we talk about something, you've been listening to. <laughs> the State of Love and Trust. Yeah.